Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with me here today as we talk about where are you meant to make impact? I have four great, amazing guests. I've even opted to limit our commercial breaks today so that we can really jam-pack you with knowledge because I know each one of you wants to make the difference that only you can make. And sometimes all of us struggle with where can I make that impact? How can I make that impact? What is the best way to make the difference that only I can make in this world? We all think about that. We often even find ourselves struggling with that. But I want to help you really take a look at where you are meant to make an impact today. Give you some different types of suggestions show you how others are making an impact so that you too can really do the thing that only you can do in this world so that you can thrive in all that you do, maximizing while it's called today. I really want that for you. I'm so excited for what we're going to go through in this next hour as we look at where are you meant to make an impact here on Thriving Entrepreneur. With that said, let's jump right in to our very first guest. Join me in welcoming Brenton Thompson. Hey, Brenton, how you doing? Hey, doing good. How about yourself? I am doing really good, thanks. So first off, tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Uh, yeah, so I'm, um, I'm Brenton, um, and I'm a digital marketing expert. And so I, I have a digital marketing agency called Twibby. And um, and so I focus on Google ads, Facebook ads, SEO, a um, little bit of email marketing as well. And then outside of that, I'm a huge fan of uh, basketball, so NBA, uh, playing sports, et cetera, and uh, family and friends are a big part of my life. I love that. So um, for somebody who's been living under a rock or whatever, they don't know what digital marketing is, explain to us in brief what that is. Yeah, so um, uh, digital marketing is using um, online tools to basically promote your business. Um, so that can be in the form of uh, trying to generate revenue or maybe just want brand awareness. Um, uh, maybe you need leads for your business, um, but basically just using a, a number of different online tactics to um, to promote your business. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a business. You can be a you can be an individual, an influencer, uh, but just um, uh, using different tools online. So what is the key to effectively marketing yourselves online these days? I mean, it's changed so much over the last few years. What's working right now? Oh, so that uh, that kind of depends on your your business type. So um, so I think for like e-commerce, what I've seen uh, for the clients that I run, uh, you know, digital marketing campaigns for is uh, Facebook ads uh, tends to work pretty well for e-commerce. Um, I have a, uh, a client, uh, they're called Cocalero. They have a, a collaboration with Resident Evil. So they have um, like a, it's a spirit. Uh, it's like a, a 29% uh, AB, ABV alcohol spirit brand. And so we're running Facebook ads and uh, we're getting like a 300% a return on ad spend. So for every $1 we spend, we get $3 back. Um, so that tends to work well for e-commerce. And then if you're trying to drive leads, then uh, I've, I'm getting great results inside of uh, Google ads for my clients. So it kind of depends on your needs. That is really cool to hear that somebody's actually having good luck with Facebook and Google ads because most of the people I've talked to, you just mentioned that and they begin screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think after the pandemic, uh, so during the pandemic, uh, I, uh, you know, stipends were being given out to like the average person, uh, you know, business loans were given out and then forgiven, um, uh, like unemployment, uh, that boost the government boosted unemployment so uh, there's a lot of like disposable money just kind of floating around in the economy and um, it was just a great time for everyone and I, I definitely can feel that uh, that 
space has kind of uh, not come to an end, but it's kind of slowed down a little bit. So what is the one thing that you wish people understood about, uh, you know, marketing their business, especially online before they came to you? Yeah, the number one thing uh, is always, uh, you know, it takes time, right? Like I, I've had clients where they basically wanted uh, to see results in two weeks. And I tell them, uh, you know, I try to set the tone that it's going to take, you know, at least a month for us to get some good data here. And once we get that first month of data, like we have to keep optimizing, it's going to get better and better, uh, at least in theory, it should. And so, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, people get impatient, I guess you could say. Um, but you can't build a great sales team in two weeks. You can't build an HR department in two weeks. And you can't uh, launch a high-performing uh, Google ads slash Facebook ads uh, campaigns in two weeks as well. Well, with that said, then, how long is realistic? How long should a person be looking at, uh, you know, for them to start seeing results? Yeah, so I, I would say in the first two weeks, like you get your baseline numbers. Um, and it depends on how much you're spending. Um, and then after the two weeks, may, you know, you get another two weeks kind of optimize. And then that's that's like the beginning of understanding, like, like what can we expect at our very, uh, like, much, like um, our very lowest form, I guess you could say, because uh, the whole account is in its uh, infancy. And so the ad accounts uh, in learning mode, most likely, or maybe you just exited learning mode. So you're, you're just hitting your efficiency. Um, but I would say give it about three months and you'll you'll have a pretty good idea of like, uh, the person who's managing your ad account, they have a good idea of like what's going on. They have a good feel for the account. And then the, the machine learning algorithms also have a good feel for your account. You mentioned um, it depends on your ad spend. What uh, What's realistic? What should a person be thinking about spending um, in daily, weekly, monthly, whatever um, ad spend? Yeah, I would say uh, 2000 on the low end. Um, you know, if you're going to do 2000 I would just do uh, one um, channel, right? So a channel is, uh, for example, like Google ads, Facebook ads, LinkedIn ads, each of those are channels. And so I would say do one channel and then at that ad spend, uh, no more than three campaigns, uh, maybe even three might be pushing it, do two campaigns to really try to consolidate all of your learnings. And to get learnings, you have to spend budget. And so you don't want your budget to be spread over too many campaigns. And, and so the two campaigns are typically going to run for the whole month or a couple of days or how long does usually, you know, $1,000 per campaign, how long should a person expect that's going to last? Yeah, yeah. You should let them run uh, evergreen, right? Uh, and then have like a consistent daily budget. So um, so if you, let's just say hypothetically for easy math, uh, $1,000 per month per campaign There's two campaigns. You would take a thousand divided by thirty, and then take that number, and then that's your daily spend, and then let it stay on that daily spend for um, both of your campaigns. Okay, just making sure we were both on the same page as far as math goes and stuff, and you know, because I know some people that are spending, you know, two thousand dollars a day and stuff like that. So I wanted to make sure that the the listeners understood what you were talking. So, um, what's the downside? What happens if? Uh, I mean, what's the possibility that you spend $2,000 a month for the next three to six months? What's the possibility that you'll end up with nothing? Oh, yeah, that's that's uh, very possible. Um, but I, I would say the main reason you end up with nothing is, um, you know, it, it could be inside of the ad account. Maybe, maybe there's a couple of levers you could have pulled. Maybe you could have wrote, you know, better ad copy. But I've seen the best results when you have a, a really... Uh, excellent place for the person to land, which is your website. And so if you get your website dialed in and have a, a really strong uh, brand presence and brand positioning, um, then you you most likely won't end up with nothing. And then I, I guess the silver lining of it all is that you'll, let's say you didn't make a lot of money because um, that's usually most businesses' goals, um, but you'll, um, you'll, you will have learned uh, something new. And so that maybe that's worth something, maybe not, but you won't necessarily come out with anything, I would say, depending on how you look at it, based on your perspective. Absolutely. So um, let's talk about the the elephant in the room. You know, I mean, everybody hears somebody like you come on and they're like, all right, uh, 
So I got to run two campaigns and I need to do a thousand dollars campaign. And they're just going to jump into Facebook and do it themselves because they have a quote unquote e-commerce, you know, or they think they do. Um, why is it that they should use a service like yours rather than just doing it themselves? Yeah. So, um, so obviously using a service like myself versus yourself, um, you know, you would have to pay someone like me to manage your ad account uh, and that costs money. Um, but, and then on your side, on the, like the individual side, it's free. So you save money there, but, um, I, I'm sure when most people first log into like Google ads and it's like, there's all these like options and, uh, campaign optimization and you like, there's like a drop down window and there's a million things to select. You don't know what your daily budget should be. Uh, you, you don't have experience writing ad copy. Uh, and there's like this. 10 other factors to consider, right? And so when you launch your campaign, uh, you might get subpar results. And in that time that you spent the 2000, you could have made maybe 6,000 and that would, have that would have covered the cost of someone like me and you would have made money. So, um, so I think it comes back to like, just your return off of what you spent on ads. I love that. So uh, how can a person who would like your help how can they work with you? Yeah, so um, so I'm giving out a, a free consultation. Um, so if you just have questions about digital marketing um, or just want to know pricing or more about our services, um, I have a county link, which I can share. You, put in, um, you can put it into my, um, I guess, my recording uh, notes after. And uh, anyone can click that link and it'll take you into my calendar. And more than happy to, to talk about this in more detail. Mm, I love that. And I do encourage everybody to reach out to Brenton. Um, you are going to want help running your ad account. Don't try to do it yourself. Yes, he will charge you a little bit, but it'll be totally worth it. Trust me, take my word for it. You want to use a professional like Brenton to do that for you and not try to go it alone. Brenton, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Thanks for having me. People need to know who you are, know where you are, and know what you do so that they can interact with you and they can be part of you making the impact that you're meant to make in this world. I'm going to go right into our next guest. We want to talk some more about where are you meant to make an impact here on Thriving Entrepreneur. Here we go. Join me in welcoming Michael Cardiman. Hey, Michael, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks. Tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Uh, yeah, I am um, a father of four living in Connecticut outside of outside of New York City now, but spent about nine years in the Bay Area. Uh, and I am the um, CEO, managing partner of Forum Ventures, which I started about nine years ago. We can go into, into the background of that, but I uh, have spent most of my career in tech and startups and um, and yeah, just uh, kind of building building Forum now. So tell us about Forum and uh, what it does. Yeah, so we're uh, um, we've kind of three three parts of the business. So we start when I started nine years ago. We were uh, a B two B SaaS focused accelerator, um, which means we kind of put often first check into into founders with you know an idea, some early version of a product, and then we were very hands on, almost like an extension of the founding team uh, to help them kind of get from that very early stages to their first like kind of pre seed or seed round. Um, so we're we're now in our fourth accelerator fund. We've worked with 300 plus companies through the accelerator, and now in addition to the accelerator, we we wanted to be able to support founders even slightly earlier and slightly later. So we now also have a seed fund uh, where we can write kind of larger checks into that first like one to three million dollar round, and then we also have a venture studio where we have a team of people that we start companies from scratch where. You know, we we come up with an idea, we start a company, and then we pull a CEO in to to run the company after we've validated it and funded it. So, how does a person know um, if their company is something that would be, uh, you know, worth being in an accelerator like yours? Um, yeah, I think it's it's really about uh, what the aspirations you have for the business, and then how big you think the market opportunity is. So. Um, you know, we're looking for companies that that we think can create kind of venture scale outcomes. And what does that mean? Because that's this like, you know, big thing that VCs say, but like, you know, what does it actually mean? So the way the way a lot of funds will think about it, which is like just kind of a, a rubric founders can kind of think through is 
is like, if I invest in this company, can it return my entire fund? So if you're, a, you know, simple math, like you're a $10 million fund and you write a 500K check into a company at a $10 million valuation, you know, how big does that company need to get to in order to return a $10 million fund? If you factor in dilution, like it, you know, it probably needs to be, you know, 20X with no dilution, factor in dilution, like 40X type of return. So if you invest at 10 million, like is a $400 million outcome a possibility? Is the market big enough to support that? Is, you know, whatever. And then as you keep raising and like raise a series A and now you're raising at 50 or hundred million and it's a billion dollar fund, like the math just gets that much harder. So I think you just need to decide like, does your company require cap? If you raise capital, can you move quicker? And is the market opportunity big enough such that you can create those sort of size outcomes if everything goes the way they, you know, the way you hope they go? And it's okay if not. And like there's a lot of great businesses that can be built without having to rely on venture where you can raise debt or just bootstrap it. Um, so yeah, I think it's more just around like what type of business you want to you want to build and what type of company you want to build. And and then is there a big enough market opportunity to support you know, the size outcomes that VC firms would be looking for. So especially when you have shows like Shark Tank and stuff like that now, everybody thinks their idea is a multi-million dollar idea and that they should get paid 20x, uh, you know, what their revenue yeah. is right now. Um, you know, what's really realistic or better yet, do you help people evaluate whether the idea that they have really is uh, what they think it is? Yeah, we, you know, we do. So um, we're very focused on B2B software companies. So we don't look at anything consumer and like certainly have no expertise there. But um, yeah, in the software world, like you can, you know, we, we get a lot of people who come in and they'll say, you know, my, you know, they're like broadly in kind of, let's say like CRM or some big category. And they'll say like, well, spend on CRM is, you know, tens of billions of dollars, like it's a big market. And, and so we'll work with them to figure out like, okay, let's take a more thoughtful approach around how do you, like, what size is your market actually? Like, who is your customer? Who's buying this? How many of them are there? And what are they willing to pay? And do much more of like a bottoms up kind of analysis. And then, you know, see what the market size looks like there. And then look at like, okay, if you get embedded in these customers and let's say your contracts are 25K a year and that that's like a $500 million total revenue opportunity, like that's not big enough. So from a venture lens standpoint, so then you start to look at like, okay, once you're in with these customers, are there ways that you can increase the contract value over time by either adding more features or selling into different, you know, areas of the business or whatever that feel like a logical extension of what you're doing, where you can kind of land and expand and get average contract values way up and therefore then get the market size up. But we, we try to work with founders to take a much more, thoughtful kind of bottoms up approach to looking at how big their market is by actually looking at like, who is their customer and what are they willing to pay and how many of those customers are there in the world or in the country or whatever geo they're going after. Now, this question may be a little bit to uh, my own personal question, uh, but um, how, how bleeding edge, how far out into what is coming, but isn't here yet, um, is really realistic for a person to start, uh, you know, getting investment for and beginning to build? Um, yeah, it's a good question. So uh, we invest in some companies that where it is not a technical advantage that they have. Like it's not a, it's not like they're building some novel technology that's new in the world. It's, it may just be, incrementally better than incumbents and, you know, they have a distribution edge somehow, or, you know, we, we underwrite to like a lot of different things. So we're not always looking for like bleeding edge technology. Um, with that said, I do think, you know, occasionally we will look at uh, companies where it's like fairly deep, either like applied AI machine learning tech. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that evolves now with all the explosion of kind of chat GPT and open AI and everything over the last few weeks, it's been pretty wild. Like even internally, we, you know, you know, we've got it like writing full memos for us now. Like it's pretty wild how, how, how quickly it's evolving. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they need to have a clear understanding of like, you know, a, how hard was it for them to build what they're building? Like, what is the barrier to entry around it? 
and how much capital are they going to need if it's not fully built yet or they need more data or they need more traction like how what is it going to take to kind of get to adding the amount of value they want to get to through the technology they're building and are we the right capital partner to provide that some companies are just too capital intensive for us to make sense and you need to kind of go go try to find bigger investors you can write bigger bigger checks if it's like really deep tech that's going to take years of r&d to build out um but we've worked with a lot of like highly technical founders where they have some unique edge on the technology side, um, either from like a data moat they had that they used to train models or that they had access to that was like, you know, maybe harder to get, uh, or it could just be like PhD, like we've invested in multiple companies where it's like PhD students from, you know, Waterloo or wherever, where they like in some great engineering school where they spend years kind of building out a thesis and, and, you know, testing and iterating and building a product. And so there's like a lot of R&D work in there, sometimes funded through their university work um, where they then can, can kind of commercialize a product and that has an edge from a technology standpoint. Um, so we, we certainly look at deals like that as well. But uh, yeah, it's it's hard to hard to kind of project out years in advance because technology kind of shifts and changes so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you as a company pretty well are working with the person who can at least build, um, you know, the beta version of it or, um, you know, a model version of it. You're not really dealing with people who are just um, idea people, but then need to bring in technical people and stuff to actually bring their dream to life. Uh, we occasionally will take a solo founder who does not have a tech co-founder on board yet if we don't view the product or technology execution risk risk to be a high one. So if like the CEO has some unfair advantage, you know, whether it's a distribution advantage or a domain expertise advantage, they have a good sense of what they need to build. And we feel like the technology is not, uh, you know, it's never trivial, but it's not like overly complicated to build. And we don't think there's a lot of risk around that. We will occasionally make an exception and then help them find a tech co-founder to build it out uh, and invest in that. But yeah, I think ideally we would love for you know a founding team to have someone on the team who's kind of building the product or has already built a version of the product. Now the studio we have is different, where like we have an in-house CTO and head of design and you know front-end engineer and everything where we come up with a lot of the ideas. Um, we occasionally will get someone who will come in with an idea, but we generally, we come up with the ideas, we validate, and then we'll pull someone in who's non-technical to run the company for us while we build the MVP and product and then eventually hand it off to like, a, and transition it to an in-house engineering team. But yeah, through the accelerator and the seed fund, like, you know, we will occasionally do, uh, a invest in a company with a, with a non-technical founder only initially if we view it as a low technical risk. Okay. So um, for the people that are listening that think uh, this might be them you're talking about, uh, be specific for us. Uh, what kind of people would you like to contact you? Um, I would like anyone who has, we, we do a lot of, a lot of the founders we invest in have what we would call like really good founder market fit. So they've been, in a market for a while, have some like nuanced understanding of their market and and then have a, a clear kind of concise view on how their market's evolving and like why they think they can build a product in that evolving market that can that can win deals and get customers and and be a big company. And then and then just being like wildly kind of ambitious and curious. Um, and so that can be as nuanced as like we've done a lot of vertical SaaS companies where it's someone who spent a bunch of time in like the restaurant supply space or in, you know, I was just talking to a company earlier who's like worked with like a bunch of master riggers and crane operators and like they're building technology specifically for that space. Like he has deep domain experience in that space. And, and like, it's a very nuanced space that not a lot of companies are going after. Um, so we look for like founder market fit where they have like very specific experience in a market and a nuanced view of that market that may be um, unique because of their experience, and then and then have the ambition to want to kind of you know move that industry forward with like a next gen version of software that can help help it run more efficiently, and you know uh, and then have like big ambitions around how big it can get. 
All right. And for the person who's like, that's me, that's me. How do they get in contact with you? Uh, yeah, I mean, we have a open form on our website. They can pitch us through that. Um, I'm on Twitter at MG Cardamone. I'm, my email is just Mike at Forum VC. Um, pretty easy to get a hold of and find online. So your website is forum.vc? No, it's forumvc.com. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, um, Mike, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. What a great way to take all the things you've learned in the industry and then pass it on to the next group and help empower the next group of people to do the things that they need to do to live as a thriving entrepreneur. That is a great way to make an impact. I look forward to seeing and hearing the way you're going to make an impact. Feel free to hashtag thriving entrepreneur and let me know what ways you are meant to make an impact. While you're doing that, we are going to take a quick commercial break here on Thriving Entrepreneur. Don't go away. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com, schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free, it's guaranteed, it's proven we've done it thousands of times what are you waiting for yes your bestsellertoday.com this time next week you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve reach the people that you came to serve come on now what are you waiting for grab a pen here we go all you got to do is book a call your bestsellertoday.com go to your bestsellertoday.com book a talk with steve it's proven it's guaranteed it's gonna happen all you have to do is say yes to your destiny Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today as we're talking about where are you meant to make an impact. We've talked with two great guests that are definitely making an impact in this world. And now we want to move on to another couple of guests. Again, we're going to go limited commercial interruptions here and just talk with the guests and talk about the subject of where are you meant to make an impact here on Thriving Entrepreneur. Here we go. Join me in welcoming Lachey McDonald. McDonald. <laughs> how are you doing today? <laughs> I am doing great. Thanks, Steve. How are you? I'm good. Tell us how you actually pronounce your last name so that people can start the drinking game. Absolutely. I've heard just about every variation too. I have my husband to thank for that. Um, so my full name is Lee Shea McDonough, and I am the founder of Coach with Clarity. Perfect. Tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Yes. Yeah, so I believe that powerful coaches can create such an impact on not just their individual clients' lives, but in their communities and in the world. And so I believe that so strongly that I've devoted my career to supporting people develop their coaching mastery and then also their business skills because many coaches also run their own businesses. So I have programs that are accredited by the International Coaching Federation to help people become coaches and to retain their credentials so they can stay coaches. I love that. So what is the difference between an accredited coach and a not accredited coach? Yes. Oh, that is such a good question, Steve. It really means that someone who has a coaching credential or certification has completed some sort of training so that they have a deep understanding of the core competencies behind the art of coaching. I will say, as with many professions, there are wonderful non-certified or non-credentialed coaches, and there are some not-so-great credentialed coaches. So a credential certainly is not a guarantee by any means, but it is a sign that this person has completed training and education around coaching. And so ideally, it communicates to the public that this is someone who's invested in their training, who understands the core philosophies of coaching, and who is ready to serve. 
Interesting. Okay. I mean, I'm just old enough that I remember when, you know, the only people that were coaches had sports teams um, yes. and we called them mentors and things like that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm still, some days I still shy away from, even though people sometimes call me their coach, I kind of shy away from that phrase. <laughs> I really identify with that. And to be honest with you, it took me almost 18 months before I felt comfortable even calling myself a coach for much the same reason. Uh, before becoming a coach, I was a psychotherapist for about 15 years. And I'll be honest with you in the therapy community, especially 10 or 15 years ago, uh, people who called themselves coach were not particularly viewed well by therapists. And so I carried a lot of baggage actually around even calling myself a coach. But then I realized if people are looking for coaching, they're going to be looking for coaches. And so maybe I should start calling myself one. Absolutely. It's a very good point. So, uh, you know, what makes a person, and I know you can't tell us all of it because we don't have that kind of time, but what (laughs) is one thing that makes person a good coach? I believe a good coach understands that the process of listening is multi-leveled and it goes beyond just active listening. It even goes beyond deep listening. It is a practice of balancing what we are hearing from our clients, the actual content of what they're saying and, and reading that along with the unspoken content, the the tone and the energy. And then at the same time, balancing that with our own internal guidance, our intuitive cues, what we're picking up on as well. When a coach is able to deeply connect with their client and listen on all levels, I really believe that is where deep connection happens. And it's through that deep connection then that we can in turn ask relevant powerful, engaging questions to elicit some deeper thought in our client and ultimately to help them uncover their own solutions and strategies. Mm, I love that. So I'm sure somebody is saying, yeah, but that's easy for you because, you know, you have a therapist background. So you already knew all those kind of things. What about the, the person who doesn't have any of that kind of training? Can they still do that? I believe they absolutely can. I believe if you have a heart for service, if you believe in people's capacity to change and to create change, and you're willing to learn, then you have the makings of a really powerful coach. And I will say that while in many ways, my background as a therapist served me and continues to serve me as a coach, I also had some unlearning to do because coaching is a very different approach than therapy. And I remember my very first session with my mentor coach when I coached her and then she provided me with some feedback. I really thought I was killing it. I thought I was doing great. And at the end of the session, she said, oh, Lee, that was a wonderful therapy session, but we need to talk about how to make it a coaching session. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I I felt so exposed. And so I think even when you have relevant training and experience in complementary professions like therapy, there's still so much to be learned about the art of coaching. Uh, And it's one of the reasons why I do what I do at Coach With Clarity. Mm, I love that so much. I heard a coach Actually, it was a friend of mine that used to be a therapist that transitioned to coaching. Um, And what she said, this may or may not be true, but this is what she said, okay, Um, was that the difference between being a therapist and calling herself now a coach was that as a coach, she could actually give people solutions and answers and help them come to, uh, you know, resolutions of things rather than Uh, you know, sometimes therapy is about keeping them in therapy forever, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I have had my share of long-term therapeutic clients, that's for sure. And and I take your colleague's point. I, I think for me, therapy was really about helping people understand the why behind their behaviors and their choices. Oftentimes, the why was centered in early experiences, some of which were traumatic. And so there needed to be some processing and some understanding around that before we could take action. What I find in coaching is that while we're still doing some internal work around mindset and beliefs, it's less about needing to heal. And it's less about kind of 
exploring and teasing out the why and more about the, okay, this is where we are today. Where are we going to go from here? We know all about who you are as a person and your habits and what's brought you to this point. Now, how do we optimize your performance so that you can really achieve what you're truly capable of? And sometimes that does involve uh, providing solutions. Uh, Sometimes it involves some consultation, but I find that it's so much more effective when my clients are able to develop their own epiphanies, their own aha moments, and then start to create their own solutions. They're way more invested then than if I were to give them an option or give them an answer. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, I think it could be said from what you just said that rather than looking at the why, we're talking about what and how. I think that's fair. I do. And and I want to be clear that I know many therapists who are also very effective at looking at the what and the how. They're very solution focused. They're very future oriented. And I also know some coaches who really have a solid understanding of how our past influences our present. So I don't mean to suggest that therapists shouldn't look uh, to the future or that coaches can't look to the past. But I think it's really more about where do we anchor our practice and what do we lead with? Well, and, uh, you know, in all fairness, as a sales manager, uh, one of the ladies that I worked with, um, she actually told me that they were going to add to the name on the door of the company that I worked for and Steve's therapy service. So um, (laughs) not that I was actually a licensed therapist, but I did a lot of that, too, in training people. So I get it. I can I can totally see that. I would imagine too in sales, it really does uncover some people's fears and their own limiting beliefs. And so as someone who's working with them, part of your job would be to help them uncover and then work through them. So that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, you know, really huge question here that we're going to try to make really simple. Um, for somebody who wants to be a coach, What is step one? What is something that they could do right now to move from wishing they were helping people to really actually beginning to successfully coach people? I think the very first step is to educate yourself on the profession and the skills that coaches use. And the way someone chooses to do that there are so many options. For some people, that does look like going right into a full on certification program. But for others, maybe it looks more like listening to some coaching related podcasts, reading books about coaching and coaching skills. Perhaps it looks like working with your own coach so that you have the experience of being coached. That was so informative for my own development as a coach as well. So I would say, choose a path, whichever path that's right for you and really explore and educate yourself on what it takes to be a coach. That's really good, good advice. So um, talk to us specifically about the kind of training that you help people with. What are some of the kind of things that you can then bring to somebody, whether they've been coaching or they want to just get into it, that'll help them, you know, do better, be better? In my program, there's two main modules for our intro level coaching certification. And the first module looks at fundamental coaching skills. So in addition to what it means to listen on many levels. We're also looking at how to structure a coaching session so that it serves your clients and they're making gains at every session. We're looking at how to structure the relationship overall so we're clear on the long-term goals and we're creating an action plan to help our clients achieve those. We're looking at how we can support our clients as they make decisions. And then in the second module, I really dive into an approach that I was trained in as a therapist, actually. It's called acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT for short. And even though ACT was originally developed with therapists in mind, its principles are, in my opinion, universally applicable and they are so well suited for coaching. So in our second module, we really look at how we can pull in the core tenets of ACT and I define them as meaning, mindset, and mindfulness and how we can use those three M's to support our clients in session so that they're able to make gains and achieve their goals outside of session. Oh, I love that. So if you could just pre-order from all the people listening today, who are the perfect people that you would love to work with? I absolutely love working with people who are intuitive, meaning they understand that they have that inner voice 
their inner wisdom and they're willing to allow that little voice to have a seat at their decision-making table. I love working people with people who are creative and innovative, who are looking for out-of-the-box solutions and strategies. I love working with people who have that heart for service, who feel called to serve and support others by using their own gifts and talents. And I'm looking for people who are willing to do their own work because as coaches, I also believe that we should not be asking our clients to do work that we're not willing to do ourselves. And when you're in a coaching certification program, at least in my program, there's peer coaching. So not only are you coaching a peer, but you are receiving coaching as well. And so there's huge opportunities for growth. And I feel that's vital in being a masterful coach. So I'm definitely looking for someone who is willing to do their own work as well. So I kind of asked this before, but just to be really specific for people who aren't sure yet, what can being a certified coach do for you versus just, you know, turning over tomorrow and calling yourself a coach? Yes, that's the right question to ask because there's no laws against calling yourself I'm a coach and and hanging out a shingle and starting today. I would say that an advantage to being a certified coach is not only will you feel more confident in your skills and in your ability to serve your clients, but it's also a signal to your clients that oh, this person's completed some training. They they know what they're doing, so to speak. Uh, I would also say that if you are interested in pursuing corporate coaching or executive co coaching, if that's the population you want to serve, then having an ICF credential really is considered a gold standard. And so that can be very helpful from a career development perspective. So I would say, yes, it absolutely helps you with marketing, but more than that, it really helps give you a stronger sense of confidence in yourself as a coach. So for the people who are like, okay, I'm ready, I want to do it, how can they get in contact with you? Yes, I would love to continue the conversation. You can pretty much find me everywhere at Coach With Clarity. My website is coachwithclarity.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Coach With Clarity. And you can also learn more about me at my podcast, which is, surprise, called the Coach With Clarity Podcast. So before we go, uh, just leave us with some good coaching, some words of encouragement for why we should do it. I believe that when we approach people with the desire to connect and to understand, we create a ripple effect of positivity. And that is what has the potential to change the world. I believe that being heard and being seen, deeply seen and validated, that's a gift that we can give to anyone in our lives, certainly our clients, but our friends, our family, our, our colleagues. And when we understand how to be strong, effective coaches and to use those skills, then that's a gift that we can give others. And that's where we build connection. That's where we build understanding. And that's what changes the world. Well, Lee, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. I've loved being here. Thanks so much for having me. You have an impact you were meant to make. You need to do it. And if you need the help, find somebody that can coach you to be the powerful coach, the powerful person that you are, and know where are you meant to make an impact in this world so that you can live as a thriving entrepreneur. We've got one more guest for you before we're done today. And with that, we're going to jump right in. Join me in welcoming Anna Brambia. How are you doing today, Anna? I'm doing great. How are you, Steve? I am doing good. Thanks. Tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Great question. I uh, help people who are in career transition, who are facing what we call battered career syndrome, and I help them explore business ownership generally and franchise business ownership as an option. And I love what I do because I'm giving hope and options to people who often feel very, frankly, depressed and frustrated with their job search or their awful boss or the lack of promotions, whatever it is. So there's so many nuances to franchising. Um, talk to us just a little bit about how your specialty helps fit in with franchisees. 
What I do is I really get to know my clients. My specialty are those people that come to me and say, I don't know what I want to do, but I know what I don't want. And those are the people that I especially, I work with a lot of different people, but those people especially the ones that I I work best with. And we identify three things. First and foremost, we identify vision for their future. What does that look like? What's important to them? Uh, who, what do they want to do? What do they want more of or less of? Oftentimes they're sick of traveling. They're sick of making money for other people, whatever it is. So what is that vision that they want? And then what's that fire in the belly that again goes back to the having too much, having uh, unpleasant bosses, uh, being promised promotions that never come through. I had a client once say, I am so sick of flying coach while my bosses are flying on personal jets. And I love that. I love that image. And they help them identify their transferable skills. And we do that really over a series of conversations. And at all times, I'm a coach. So at all times, I'm on the same side of the table as my clients. The only thing I care about is that they learn and get clearer on what they're looking for. I'm not a broker. Um, nothing against brokers. They're a great group of people, but that's not who I am. My specialty is getting to know my clients and helping them figure out what's best for them. And then after I've had a series of conversations and know better what they're looking for, then I can go to my database. And we've got more than 200 different franchises and business concepts and give them a curated list And then I help them explore those options. And again, at all times, I'm on the same side of the table as my clients. The all times, the only thing I care about is helping them learn. Does that help? It does. Absolutely. So what's the one thing that, um, you know, you wish people knew about, uh, you know, about their franchise and, and the stuff that you know, you just wish that before the first call, they already knew it. What, what, what kind of things is, are those? Oh, great question. I wish that they knew a bunch of things. First of all, that there's so much more than McDonald's and Subway. Um, In our portfolio, only 4% of our franchises have anything at all to do with food. So there's huge variety of industries such as uh, kids, seniors, uh, home improvement, home restoration, fitness, travel, pets, things like that. I also wish that they knew that franchising is a lot less investment than most people think, that the majority of our franchises are 75000 100000 to 200000 total investment for the first year, and that uh, franchising is, uh, offers a lot of uh, funding options that I can get most people funded if that's the right fit. So that's one thing. And other things, too, if I could elaborate, because I know you asked for one, but I'm going to give you many. Um, one of the things that I love, too, is that franchising really allows a lot more flexibility than people expect. We uh, call it an eight-lane highway with bumpers. So there's tremendous flexibility. Those are a couple of things. Yeah, those are great. I appreciate that. I always wonder... Um... You know, what are the, you know, because you talked about only 5% is food. What are some of the more interesting, but really obscure, if you will, franchise opportunities that are out there? Oh, that's a great question. Oh, there are so many cool things out there. I'd have to, uh, in terms of obscure ones, we had uh, one that, it's, I don't think it's part of our portfolio anymore, but that got rid of uh, geese and because uh, there's geese and geese poop can be a, a real problem in so many places like parks and uh, and uh, backyards and, and playgrounds and things like that. So we had something like that once. Um, the others are fairly more uh, mainstream. Uh, lots of home improvement, home uh, um, home restoration. We have a franchise that's fairly new to our system that does crime scene cleanup. 
which is uh, not pleasant, but so valuable to the those families that are they're going through that. Um, what are some others? Lots of pet stuff, really cool stuff around pets. Um, got some travel ones. We've just got a whole great variety of options. Wow, those are all, they all sound like a lot of fun. I talked to a, a franchise broker, oh gosh, it was probably two years ago now, and they were talking about one that was essentially just sitting at your house making phone calls all day long. And it, it was, you know, only like five or $10,000 to get in. I mean, you know, that's not including all that it costs to allow you to be self-employed, but um, it was pretty interesting that they had something like that. That's a that's a different level that I don't, that's a different sandbox that I don't play in. Um, and I'm sure there are things like that. My, my general, very, very broadly speaking, uh, certainly not making any kind of promotions or promises or anything else like that. Uh, generally, the, the higher the investment, the more support you get. Um, and the higher the investment, you have the potential to make more money. Um, if it's a much higher investment, you're offer, often investing in equipment, um, a location, things like that, that add to your assets that you can then turn around and sell. So there are certainly franchises and, and other things that are much, much less expensive than the ones in our system, but they're a different beast. Absolutely. What are the uh, expenses that people don't count for, um, you know, that they you really wish they were thinking of beyond just, of course, the franchise fees and, you know, building costs and stuff like that? I find that the people who invest in the marketing and invest in the infrastructure are the ones that do best. Uh, the clients that come in and say, I'm going to, you know, bootstrap this. I'm going to make it my system as lean as possible. Not always, but often have a much harder time, uh, as well as just daily living expenses. It can be extremely nerve-wracking and uh, scary sometimes to invest in a business as you're getting up and running. Um, and the franchisor will help you really get clear on what are the things that they need uh, that the potential franchisee needs to to get up and running. And I always encourage my clients to be very conservative and to really overestimate their expenses and underestimate their revenue. But every franchise is different, but almost invariably marketing is going to be your biggest unexpected expense probably. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. What kind of net worth does a person really have to have to have to be in a you know, say, let's just use $100,000 investment type of a franchise. Every franchise sets their own minimum net worth requirements, but typically 100K is a minimum, um, oftentimes more than that. Really, it, more importantly, it's the cash on hand. That's the most important number. And Again, we have great funding options. There are ways to access your 401k, for example, without paying penalties or taxes or interest. So that's a great way to uh, get some access to cash. Of course, small business administration loans or home equity line of credit, and we have other options. So getting cash for a franchise, the only people I can't help are those that um, are unemployed, have no assets, don't own their own home, and have poor credit, in which case they should really be focusing on getting a, a job to increase their financial stability, and a franchise probably isn't right for them. So give us a definition of the perfect kind of person that you would love to work with. Oh, great. I biggest thing that I look for when I'm choosing to bring on a client is, do they have an open mind? I had a, a client recently who I unfortunately had to let go because he kept saying, you have to prove it to me. You have to prove it to me. I'm skeptical. And I have no problems with people being skeptical. Absolutely none whatsoever. Some of my favorite clients are very skeptical. But they need to have an open mind and a willingness to learn and a willingness to be temporarily uncomfortable. 
those are the clients that I work best with. The other aspect that I look for when I'm choosing clients to work with is do they have that fire in the belly? If they're happy in their job, if they're happy in their lives, then I'm probably not a good fit for them. I work best with people who I mentioned before who know what, know what they don't want, but aren't clear about what they do want. Those are the people that I love to work with. Love that. So for somebody that wants to work with you, they'd love to go further and, uh, you know, explore the options for them having a, a franchise. How can they work with you? Uh, great. Check me out on LinkedIn. Uh, my handle is Anna Brambila. So linkedin.com slash in slash Anna Brambila. Or check me out on my website. So abrambila.esourcecoach.com. So again, it's abrambila.esourcecoach.com. Those are the great places to go on. Check out my recommendations on my LinkedIn, especially. Half of the people who wrote nice things about me will never end up in a franchise. And I love that because it really proves that I only care about my client and what's best for my client. And I'm completely detached from the outcome. Wow, oh, I love that so much. So before we go, leave us with some words of encouragement uh, for the person who's thinking about doing franchising that uh, you know maybe it is more possible than what they thought it was. Why not explore? You guaranteed to learn something. You'll learn about options and paths to success that you never knew existed, whether they're right for you now or ever is irrelevant. Why not take 15 minutes, get on a calendar call with me, and let's find some time just to talk about your options. At the very least, again, you'll learn something new. I'm a fifth generation educator, so it's deep in my blood. And at the end of the day, the only thing I care about is somebody can say, so glad I met Anna because I learned about stuff and options that I never knew existed. Oh, I love that. Anna, thanks so much for all that you do in the world and for taking such good care of your clients um, and for being with us here on the show today. Thank you, Steve, for all you do. I love your podcast and, and the good vibes you're putting out into the world. And it's such a necessary thing. So thank you for that. Where are you meant to make an impact in the world? Don't stay stuck in a job just because it's the career. Maybe it is what you studied in school, but don't stay stuck. Make the impact that only you can make. Maximize while it's called today. Be the best version of yourself be all that you can be. All of those phrases that we've all heard, but I really want to encourage you to do because you are meant to make an impact. And I hope that in listening today, you've learned some ways or come up with some new thoughts where you are meant to make an impact because you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose and the world does, oh, the world needs you. I'm so grateful for the time that you've given us today to learn and talk about how to be a thriving entrepreneur. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time. I hope that until we're together again next time, you're happy, safe, warm, and loved, and that you have an amazingly great, great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity, and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far, and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com, schedule a talk with 
Steve. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.